let me just share with you a few words that, because uh, our perspective, if you think about it, can be changed just by some words. It can be changed, hopefully, in some degree, by your worshiping and, and, and saying in your heart to God um, some of the words that you've just sung. I, I wrote down just a few that, that help sometimes people change perspective. Um, for instance, in the area where you want to give up and quit, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Remember Thomas Edison said that. So Pastor Stephen Furtick said this, We struggle with insecurity because we compare our behind-the-scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. Isn't that interesting? We don't know what the behind-the-scenes reel of other people's lives. All we see is the highlight reel. I read this one. Um, Should you ever find yourself victim of other people's bitterness, smallness, or insecurity, remember things could be worse. You could be them. Um, anyway, uh, the things that you take, and this is one I thought as we look at, at, at um, Thanksgiving. I love this. The things you take for granted, someone else is praying for. Think about that as we head into Thanksgiving. It could actually change the way you look at your life. The things that we can sometimes just take for granted, other people are praying for. Words can just change our perspective. And when we come to this message in, in Haggai, there are some words that actually change the perspective of some people. In this little book, the second shortest book in the Old Testament, you, you have these words given in four messages over a short period of four months. That was the, it was kind of like a meteor, kind of rise of a prophet, and then kind of did his job, done, over, gone. And each message, when we look at it, had time markers. It was going on at that time in history. It was what I kind of call the craze of those medial Persian days. They were beginning to mark history with specific dates and times. And, and uh, that, that kind of historical perspective was occurring in that government in, in, in time period. And you see it reflected in Haggai. You also see it reflected in others, Old Testament writers who lived at that time, Ezra and Nehemiah. You see the influence of that medial Persian uh, government. And then Zechariah, who also, a few, just a few short years after Haggai's message, you find these tam, time stamp things. It reminded me when I was thinking about it. Say, remember when cameras came out with that little, you had that little time stamp on your picture? And it was really kind of cool because it told you when it was, and then you're trying to find ways to get that little time stamp off because it ruined the picture. And then they came, well, anyway, that's kind of what's going on. This, these scriptures were, and, and these words were time stamped. And not only were they time-stamped, I call it they were divine-stamped. One of the things as you read through this book, you find that Haggai was clearly aware that these messages weren't just something that he was excited about. They weren't just something that from his perspective he thought might be good. They were actually from his heart, and he believed this, God's word for those people. And so when you read through this, you'll find 25 times, think about this, 25 times in 38 verses you will hear things like the Lord Almighty says. That's, that's a lot of times because he's trying to make it really clear. Listen, guys, I'm not up here on my own will. I am here stamped with the divine presence and word of God. And my prayer as we kind of go through this message that maybe God will stamp your heart with his word 
And where you may be in a situation in your life right now, he may give you some perspective that will change your life. But i got to tell you that when you get perspective that changes your life for a period of time, one of the things you're going to find is that it's not just once you do it. You have to set your mind again and again. It's a choice of your will to do so. So as we go through this, you'll find that in September 1st, around um, 520 years before the birth of Christ, Haggai delivered his first message. He was so excited, he gave it to him, and it was basically just a simple message that challenged the people on their priorities. It was a simple message which said, just put God's interest first. And not only that, it was a short and direct message. It was basically these words, quit paneling your houses while my house remains in ruin. And it was motivating. You know that as you read that scripture, it says the people obeyed. They experienced the presence of God. God himself said he is with them. And they were stirred in their spirit by the spirit of God, and they began rebuilding. They made that priority one of the first things they were going to do. And all is good for a short period of time until within that month, a little bit later, they lost perspective, they became discouraged, and they gave up. Now, you may be in that place about something in your own life. You may have been here last Sunday, and we took a few moments, and God was quietly speaking to your heart, and you said, yeah, that God I want to do. And this Sunday, you're here, and you're going, ugh. We all experience this. Anybody ever made a New Year's resolution, right? You get to mid-February, and what happens? Usually, it's not external things that cause the problem. They're internal things. And that's what exactly was happening here in their situation. So Haggai's second message reflects this. It's delivered to a discouraged and defeated group of people. And they had done what I call, they had made some fatal comparisons. And they lost perspective, and they lost their energy, and they lost their will to choose to do what they know they should do. Even though the first message was motivating, they were struggling to do what God had challenged them to do. It wasn't that they didn't know what to do. Often it's not that we don't know what to do, it's just we don't have the the energy, the choice, and the perspective that keeps us doing what we know we should do. So if you listen to Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it begins on the 21st day of the seventh month. There's the time stamp. The word of the Lord, there's the divine stamp, came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them. So what we're going to do in these comparison traps, I'm going to be asking you some evaluative questions that cause you to look at your situation right now and maybe get a different perspective on it. Ask them, here's these questions, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Let's look at the past, now let's look at the present, and then he says, what's your interpretation? What, what, is, what does it mean to you? Does it not seem to you like nothing? See, priorities chosen will soon face opposition And a lot of times that opposition is internal. It's internal. And so what are the fatal comparisons that cause you to become discouraged and defeated that might cause you to be in that position right now? The key is always a matter of focus. And so we're going to look at these these comparisons. And I've listed four of them. We're going to look at the past versus the present. We're going to look at short-term versus long-term. We're going to look at self versus service or sacrifice. 
And we're going to look at opposition versus opportunity. Those are the, if you want a roadmap, that's kind of where we're going to head through this passage of Scripture. Because we have a choice. If you look at verses 4 and 5, it's a, it's a, it's a strong statement that says, be strong and work, God's with you. It's, it's the choice part of this whole thing. If you look at then verses 6 through 9, which we'll look at the end of the message, it's God saying, I'll do my part. I'll do what I need to do. But we got to get past these first three verses, which is the perspective part, which is our part of understanding that moves us to a place where we are strong and we work and we know God's with us. So if we look at this, um, you find it all throughout Scripture. Um, Fix your eyes on Jesus, he says to a discouraged group of people. Put your mind on things above, Paul says to Colossians. Don't be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing, by resetting your mind again and again, keeping perspective. This will be the work you need to do. This is the work I need to do. You set your mind again and again so it becomes renewed. So eventually, these things become a part of the way that you look. You begin to look at things from the way God does. You begin to get heaven's perspective on what's going on in your life. And so here are the traps. Four of them. The fatal, what I call the first one is a fatal comparison of the past versus the present. This is the remember when trap. It's our tendency, isn't it, to glamorize the good old days. Remember when life was so simple. And then you talk about in the days when, you know, it was so simple and you had all this time and, and you would actually walk to a certain place and... What we do, though, when we do those things, we don't realize that when you would walk to a certain place, you didn't realize it was nine below or 20, you know what I mean? We leave out so often. In fact, we, we might mention one really good thing and think, oh, those were the good old days, and we forget 20 of the other things that were really difficult, like no running water, going to an outhouse. Just think about it. There was a time not too long ago, if you would get it in the middle of the night last night, how many would be, yeah. Those were the good old days. Washing clothes took all day. And yes, there's good things in it. Hunting was not a matter of getting that nice, you know, whatever point buck you needed to get. It was a matter of life and death and survival. And, and there's this tendency to look in the good old days. It's a trap. And when you get trapped and you look at only the good things in it and you get discouraged and defeated, but the people in that day were looking at their good old days. It just keeps going back. So what he's kind of calling us to is, no, get your eyes off the past and look now in the present because in your present experience, you can know and experience God. The Lord is with you in your obedience. And that's the trap they were discouraged by. It says in verse 3, Ask them, cause them to evaluate who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory. You see, the problem is that when we compare, we despair. That's what will often happen. If you compare the good old days, it will sometimes lead to a place of despair, and you get to the point, and you go, why bother? If you look at what's happening, Ezra tells us what was happening when they were building this temple. They were just beginning to work. They're putting brick upon brick, and they tells us in Ezra, he says, and the people gave a great shout and a praise to the Lord when the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This was, wow, this is exciting. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple They wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Yeah. They couldn't believe it. I mean, it was nothing like the temple in Solomon's day. These massive pillars, incredible gold, and and all the majesty of it. It was the... It was to talk not just of the town and of their own um, people, but of the people's peoples as if people would come and they'd look at this incredible building and now they're putting up this measly little thing because they used the really good wood on their own home. 
And they start to cry and they complain. And since they, they wept out loud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, listen to this, while many others shouted for joy. They were weeping out loud because the presence of God was there in a way they remembered. And it was so, in those were the good old days when God was at work and God was glorified. And then they hear people crying out loud for joy because here's a whole group of people who hadn't experienced it. They didn't know God's presence, but in this very present obedience, as they were working with the Lord, they were experiencing the stirring of the Lord. The Lord was again once with them and they were crying for joy because of what, what God was doing right now. There are times when it's really easy to forget, become paralyzed, because you compare the past to the present. You could be doing that in your own life right now. You kind of go, I just remember when I was younger, I just had this close walk with the Lord. It was just such, man, and God was with me. I experienced his presence. I remember a church that I once went to, and it was just this place. And, and, you, just, and you know what? What you find is interesting here is you can get stuck there and paralyzed there and you begin to ask questions like why bother what's the use what good will this do and God is telling you right now guess what will happen your brick by brick laying of these things will allow for the presence of God to come into your life and you will experience him in a whole new way it's really easy to be trapped in the past and God is saying I want to come into your life now but you have to open your heart to it. You have to just become obedient and put away all the stuff that's been holding you back and say, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to trust my life to you right now, God. I'm going to trust that you'll be in it. I remember when I uh, had experienced this um, not too long ago, I, I was the executive director at Trinity International University, and um, there one afternoon I thought let's take our team kind of a team building thing and we'll go bowling because there's a bowling alley next door I thought let's do this and you know when I was in high school I bowled and uh, and I I just did it for a class and I did really well I got like 150 points which is fairly good for you know somewhat of a new bowler and and I don't bowl a whole lot after that just once in a while throughout the years but I hadn't bowled for a number of years so I went there and I was thinking yeah who's ever on my team we're going to do okay I get up there and first of all the ball felt much heavier than they used to and I get up there to take this ball, and I start going down into this once, once this very fluid motion, and it wasn't so fluid at all. And the ball went down the middle, and it started leaking to the left, and barely hit one pin. And it took me almost four or five or six times to do it, until I finally got the ball to go straight down the middle. But it wasn't like it was. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get that fluid motion if I had tried with everything in me. And there was a part of me going like, what the bother? I don't, you know, if I'm going to get scores like about 100, forget it. And then I remember another time, and not too long ago, I went water skiing. And I used to water ski a lot when I was younger. And I liked to slalom ski. And I liked to, you know, you get up. And I, so I'd get up, and it was a lot harder to get up. And I'm getting up, and I'm feeling, okay, this is good. And I get out on the outside of the wake, and I start to lean, and I lean. And I just wipe out, and I'm thinking to myself, What? It's that kind of thing that, you know, your, your mind is trying to cash checks your body just can't deliver on, that idea. Because your, your, your mind still has this muscle memory. And you kind of go, I can do that, but your body's going, don't be doing that. I have, I have, you know, in the last number of years had a loss of some hearing in one ear, and I have to share with you, there's a sense sometimes I go, oh, I just, oh, the good old days when I could just stand in the hallway and hear everybody. 
There's just certain things, in it, and I just go, oh, what's the use? Sometimes, what's, I, why bother? I just want to pull back. I want to not, I just want to withdraw. I just don't want to engage. It's just too much. You might be there. And the word that God says in verse 6 is, hey, look it, be strong. Which I paraphrase this way, quit discouraging yourself with your mind. Where you're at is where you're at, and God will work through you. So he says, be strong. Quit discouraging yourself and begin with your mind in God's word to encourage yourself with this perspective that we're talking about of what he's doing now. And then he says, work, just do it. You know where God shows up the most? It's not in some building made a few years back. It's in your obedience. Your obedience. You're doing good. You're doing loving things. Your kindness to people. The way you treat your husband or your wife. The way you treat your kids. The way you treat one another. That's where the presence of God shows up. It may not be in some kind of experiential thing you remember in the past. It's happening now in the way you act in love towards others. Now here's the other trap. It's what I call the fatal comparison of short-term versus long-term. It's the trap of seeing things as being superficial and insignificant. Haggai confronts the people, and he follows up with this question. He says, you know, know, those of you who had the former glory, now let me just ask you another question. What do you think about it now? And then he says, how does it look? Does it seem to you like nothing? When you look at it, you go, oh, it's just really not that significant. The anecdote to this comparison trap is always this, to keep your eye on God and his promise and purposes and not on you and your problems and what you think is so insignificant. I remember when I used to run in college and I I would go down this one path and it was just this long, long path where it was just trees. It was beautiful. I mean, it was so treed that no sun could come in. So it was just, and it would be kind of monotonous. It'd run for a long time. And I remember when I would run, I'd get about a third or so through it. And I would begin to see this little, little light of a hole right at the end. And it would get bigger and bigger. And I just remember I'd always just keep my eye on that because it gave me a sense of encouragement. It allowed for me to take step after step after step because I knew that in this, I was getting to that end. Those small steps that may seem insignificant were leading to a very significant end. And so often what happens is we take this short-term view of things. And the temptation is for us to look at what we're doing right now. And we think of it as a little thing. It's so easy to lose focus. It's so easy to lose perspective. It's not only that you're trapped in the past and you have that kind of past versus present thing going on. Now you have a short-term versus a long-term perspective going on. And so verse 3 says, does it not seem like nothing? Or some translations say, doesn't it? It just seems like a little thing. What you're doing isn't really that significant. So why bother? And in our eyes, what we're doing doesn't seem significant, but the problem is that we can't see what God sees. We don't know that in this little insignificant thing we think we're doing, God might be doing something huge and big, not only in our life, but in the lives of some others around us. See, what you do today, when you set your mind on what you know is right and good, And even if it seems insignificant, it is significant to God. Our perspective is always going to be kind of mixed with this earthly, kind of gritty kind of mindset. But we always have to be inviting and saying, God, what do you, how do you see it? How do you see it? Because we don't know what our impact is on others. There's a man, his name was Bosworth. And um, he was a really busy man. He was a very successful man. And he didn't have a lot of time for his son. But when he was with his son, he would give him good attention. 
And he didn't do a lot of the kind of hunting, fishing things, but one day he took his son on a fishing trip. And they did this fishing trip, and they were there together all day, had a great day. It didn't seem like a big deal to him. But years later, after he had died, his son, who was a gifted writer and speaker, would often tell audiences. You know, his dad was dead by this point. He'd tell audiences the day he went fishing with his dad. It was just incredible. He'd just talk about how he valued that, how it, it was one of those rare times where he was with his dad and how important that was. And so one day later, after, you know, in his life, and he was getting his dad's box of stuff. They had boxed all that stuff up after he died, and it was years later, and he's looking at the boxes, and he'd been sharing this story, and he opens a box, and it's a box of his dad's journals, and he looks through the journals. He finds the year that he went on this fishing trip, and he's so excited. He opens it up. He's looking for the entry, hoping something will be written on an entry, and he gets to the entry, and he finds four words, and he reads the four words that his dad wrote. Went fishing. Day wasted. You have no idea what one day may mean in the life of someone else. You have no idea what a smile might mean to someone that you pass by at work. You have no idea what that note that you've been contemplating to write might mean to someone. You have no idea how significant things are when you're doing them in obedience to God's spirit in you. One of the worst traps you can get into is to start thinking that it's not a big deal, it's just a little thing. But don't be discouraged. Haggai says, be strong and work. Just put brick upon brick. Just do one good thing after another good thing. After you do that, after a while. You know what? It's really interesting. Good people are the result of a lot of insignificant good choices. Do you know that? I want to be a person of faith. Oh, I want to get there because that's significant faith. You just give me that mountain, you know, kind of moving faith. But you know how mountain moving faith gets there? Through little insignificant steps where you are in a situation right now where you say, God, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even seem significant. But I am going to step into this. And by doing this, I trust you're with me. And when you're with me, it's significant. Whether it's teaching a child in Sunday school or helping at night with a youth group, whether it's greeting people at the door on Sunday morning or it's coming on a Saturday morning to pack food for a bunch of people you'll never see, whether it's making a commitment to daily read God's word or consistently say, God, I'm going to give a portion of my paycheck to do things that will make a difference in people's lives through some kind of charity. Whether it's a decision maybe you had last week where God was speaking to you about your own health and it was a decision, I'm going to eat healthier, I'm going to start to exercise. And, and, or maybe it was a decision where you say, I, I know my finances really need to be cared for, I need to really plan better so I can give and, and, and use them in ways that will make a difference in people's lives. Whatever it is, if God is in it, it is significant because you have no idea what the long term is going to be with what you have done. And then there's what I call the fatal comparison of self versus service. I, I want to tell you, the, it's so easy to be like with these people. We all live it. You know, we, there's, none of us, can, can any of us stand in judgment of them? We all do it. In the midst of it, you're kind of going, oh, man, I can't believe it. And, you know, they, they're thinking that this isn't like it should be, like it was. And the focus is on me, not on others. And I gotta share the me set, kind of that me first mindset always leads to discouragement. It, it, the Bible just tells you that. Jesus tells you that. 
And you get this comparison. You say, okay, who am I thinking about right now? Is it my liking? Or could it be God's liking is in this? You know, you need to understand our preferences are not always God's. I have a friend who um, keeps these words of the first few sentences of the first paragraph of the first chapter of one of the best-selling books. He keeps these words on his desk. And the first sentence is really all that is needed to keep perspective. In fact, it's probably a good thing to put on your desk or in your mirror or on, you know, well, maybe not in your car, but anyway, somewhere. So that we don't find ourselves, if we keep ourselves on ourselves, we find ourselves really being executed and defeated by this me first kind of self kind of thing. And the simple life-releasing words that begin this book are just these words, four words, well, maybe five with a contraction. It's not about you. It just starts that way. It's not about you. And I think those were divinely inspired words that Rick Warren got when he wrote his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He just begins it. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, to wake up every day and go, God, thank you for this day. It's not about me. And yet in it, when I do those things, that maybe seem insignificant, and I do them again and again, and I don't get trapped by the past, but I move into the present because I know that you're in the things that I do right now, and I'm going to look for those things right now. I'm going to live those things out right now. You begin to walk in such a way that you begin to start saying, you know what, it's not about me, but boy, isn't this a great day? His paragraph in that book is, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, and even your happiness. It's for a greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. You may have been wrestling with this and you may have only come here to this church for the last few weeks or months or years and and you're in a place where God's saying, you know what, I want you to enter into my purpose. I want you to know my fulfillment. There's not only this trap of self versus service. You know, it's all about me. What am I getting? What I need? What I... You know, it just wasn't like it was. It wasn't like it was one time and it seems so insignificant, so why bother? Because it's not doing anything for me. Anybody ever been there? I have. He goes to this next one, which I call is the fatal comparison of opposition versus opportunity. So as you look at things and you have all this stuff going on, and this opposition so often is our perspective is an internal one. And again, it's a matter of perspective. It's what you're focusing on. Are you focusing on, as you go through life, do you focus on the negatives? I mean, Ask yourself that a good evaluative question is to ask yourself what you know if you were to write every hour just say you know you put your watch every hour you say now what have I been focusing on or are you seeing the opportunity in what appears to be negative are you living with what I came up with as I was writing this I kind of like it are you living with a woe is me kind of life attitude or are you living as God calls you to with what I call as a woe is the enemy kind of life attitude. That in this opposition, watch out, there's an opportunity for me to make a dent for God's kingdom. There's an opportunity when I just do this obediently for God to begin to form something in my character. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But man, if I do this again and again over a long period of time, watch out. 
You see, you have to ask yourself, what is it when you come against that opposition? Do you just see the opposition and the negatives? Or do you begin to start saying, God, give me your perspective on what's happening here. What's the opportunity in the midst of this opposition that can make a huge difference in my life and the life of my family and the life of others around me? It's your choice. It just doesn't happen. It's what, what, what Haggai says is be strong and work. Just lay brick upon brick, people. Just do this because guess what? Not only is this something that doesn't look like it used to be and it's not really going to be that significant in your eyes and yep, it's not going to maybe fulfill you the way you think you want it to be fulfilling, but guess what? What you're doing is creating an opportunity for something to happen that you may never know or experience in the future. But guess what? It's going to be so great because I'm in it. What if what you are going through at this point in your life is merely a step toward a much greater revelation of God's work and purposes in your life? You're struggling. You're feeling this. And, and I shared this with the first service. I didn't share it with you. This, this was a message. To be honest with you, Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I didn't want to preach. You know, Peter talked about wrestling with the message, and sometimes I wrestle with I mean, how to give it, and it's just laid on my heart, and I have this burden that i got to give it. The reason I don't want to preach this is because I've been living here. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I get up and share with people what I'm not myself even experiencing? Except that God works in our brokenness, and I know this is true. And what I think is so cool is I, I go through this. I just think to myself, what if this is just an opportunity? What if God is doing things in my life? What if he's doing things in your life so that he can reveal himself in a whole new way, that he can show us his power and his grace and his goodness, and that he can do what needs to be done? Maybe he's even doing something that's just going to plain hurt. It's going to be sacrificial, and we won't see it till the resurrection someday, just like Jesus himself. And are you going to be obedient? Are you going to walk in obedience? Are you going to let God show up in your life, even if you don't self get something out of it, but it's something for others? That's a choice everyone has to make. What if what seems painful and negative is actually the next step toward what your heart actually desires? You're, you're, you're just around the corner and you're ready to give up. What if your wilderness is merely a path to the promised land? Now, I'm not talking about all kinds of you know, financial this or that. I know God can be in those things, obviously. But what if it's about the promised land that God is doing something in the internal part of your, the landscape of your soul in such a way he's creating something so that what he's creating here has an impact on everything out here. And you're just in a path in the wilderness. You're experiencing it because what he needs to do here is to teach you to trust and rely on him and him alone. What if this is just training? so that you can take and grab hold of what God has prepared and planned for you. And I'm not talking even in the few years or months ahead of you. I'm talking about, guess what, this whole life. Our whole life is like a, it's like a flower that blossoms and then it wilts. And the, you know how fast that happens? I have a friend that all says to me when we're together with him, he says, oh, you know, flowers wilting. Our time. It's, you know, we're not going to be together and you're going to be going. What if, what if you look at your life and go, guess what? This time that you have is all about God doing something in you so that you can be created in such a way that he can give you, like a kid who's training to be able to drive a car someday, he can give you the keys to his kingdom to do the kind of work that you can do and only you can do. He's doing this in you and you have the opportunity in this situation to become that kind of person that God needs to create now for forever. That's the long-term view of things. 
That's the opportunity you might be facing that you're being called on right now to choose. What if your present obedience merely sets the table for generations to come? And we're doing this uh, renovation of the sanctuary and lobby, and I've had people say, well, it's not so bad. And you know, it isn't. But it's 20-some of us years old, and, and, and we're in a position that we can really refresh this and, and make it something that's going to be really a place that can touch hearts just like God's touching your hearts in the future. And I kind of go, yeah, what if you're given a gift that you may be transferred out or not be able to... Ex- you're giving it not to your enjoyment again. You're giving it because it may be doing something for people years down the road. I look at this and I just go... This fatal comparison of opposition versus opportunity, that's exactly what was happening in Haggai's day. They were one more step toward the greatest revelation of the greatest temple to ever bear the presence of God. And only some of the prophets saw this. This was their opportunity amidst the opposition to take the further step towards the revelation of God. God was saying, yeah, it's not about a building yet. I don't really need, I I can have a little share of your building here, but I got to tell you, there's something coming. There's a temple coming, and it's not going to be a building. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Folks, we are all about Jesus here because Jesus is the revelation, the fullness of God. And when you come into the fullness of God, he allows for you in in a humble way when you open your heart and you say, I want you, Jesus, in my life. He then transfers part of that presence into your spirit, into your spirit by his Holy Spirit, and you become now a temple like Jesus, so that all throughout history there are little temples going all around the world like water flooding this earth. We are the people of God. And what he was saying to them is, guess what? You don't understand what you're doing. Brick upon brick, what you're doing is just laying a foundation for something greater to come. That's what we're about. That's what God's doing. That's what he was calling them to. So your woe is me can be turned into woe is the enemy. It's your choice. It's a matter of whether you want to focus on the opposition right now, the negative or the opportunity that's in it. So what's that opportunity for you? What if the current opposition you feel is really an opportunity for God to display his incredible, unfathomable, ingenious, unbelievable power? What if you, what if we, and I think about it, what if, what if me, just believed what God says. Paul said it this way, that you and I are God's workmanship. We as a people here are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I want you to do is take a few moments, and I want you to really think about this and, and, and let God work to your heart. We, we had, the worship team came to me at one point and said, you know, we got this idea, we want to put together this thing and it, it requires this and that and it, and it was using some of the people in our church to take pictures someone wrote a story someone did the sound all this stuff and and i thought well, okay maybe and then they showed me this and i just want you to go you know what see yourself in this this might be what god is doing in you right now it all started with the new owners remodel he said renovate she said It sounded exciting until I realized they were talking about us. These windows have got to go. Peeling paint, he said. Rot in the corners, she said. Old and leaky. Single paint. Hey, listen, my hardware is still good. See? Real brass. No! Don't do that! 
I don't believe this. I'm in the dumpster. I had a good view from up there. I saw the new windows come in. Sleek. Shiny. Double pain. I remember the good old days. Back when I was all a window should be. I let in light. I kept out the cold. On a warm day, I let in a fresh breeze. I had a purpose. I had a job. I framed a happy family. But now, there's nowhere for me to go. There's nothing for me to do. I'm worn out, broken down. I'm worthless. Wait, who's pulling me out? Who's carrying me away? Is this some new torture? Haven't I suffered enough? Can't you let me rot in peace? Hey, what are you doing? That hurts. The rot wasn't so bad, and peeling paint isn't the worst thing in the world. You say you're restoring us. To what, exactly? What possible purpose can we have now? Oh, different purposes. As different as we are. Apparently I'm in the hands of a craftsman here. A restorer. When all anyone could see was a broken down wreck, the restorer saw something different. Something new from old. Something fresh from rot. Peeling paint can be charming? I guess it can. We have a different purpose now. We have new jobs. We're still functional and even beautiful. Some of us are a little quirky. We can help young plants to grow. We can reflect and encourage. We can frame a happy family.